I'm Zachary Cartwright. This is Water and Food. You know, lactose is a sugar. Lactose comes from milk. Water and lactose is a little bit like water and table sugar. Um, especially if it's moldy, now it's a hazardous material. <laughs> of course, with that, the company's reputation goes down the drain. Huge number of applications for water activity. Welcome back to another episode of Water and Food. Today, I'm joined by Kent Keller from Keller Technologies, Inc. Kent is a lactose specialist who has been educating people in the lactose industry and upgrading lactose systems around the world for over 40 years. In the year 2000, Kent was honored with the American Dairy Product Institute's prestigious Award of Merit for his lifetime contributions to the lactose processing industry, and has, he has even been referred to as Mr. Lactose. So today I'm honored to have Kent Keller on the Water and Food Podcast. Welcome to the show. How are you? I am fine. Uh, thank you, Zach. It's a pleasure to be with you. Uh, we've had a, a good working relationship with your company, and uh, it's a, a pleasure to do this. Well, I've been trying to uh, get you on the show for quite some time. You're, you're a hard guy to track down. Well, um, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I guess uh, I still have an, many, many opportunities to contribute, so I, uh, I, I try to do that. Well, Mr. Lactose, that's a, a really big title, and I'm interested to know, you know, kind of your journey into the lactose industry. So how did you become interested in, in lactose? I'm sure it's not a short story, but we have plenty of time. Okay. It's not. I tell people my main uh, qualification is as a farmer. Um, <laughs> I grew up on a farm and uh, was blessed uh, there with a work ethic. My father owned a farm as well as a farm equipment store. So I spent almost every day of my childhood uh, either driving farm equipment or working on farm equipment and cars. So that, that gave me some uh, mechanical aptitude. And then uh, once I got out of grade school, I had a good fortune to go to a private Christian high school that had uh, very high academic standards. It was uh, virtually a conveyor belt into a university, so almost all of us went on to the university. I went on and uh, got a degree in chemical engineering, and after that, I took a job with Dow Chemical Company. That was in Midland, Michigan, and at the time, that place was uh, reported to be the largest chemical complex in the world. So that was a fantastic opportunity. I, I was able to work there for four years, and that gave me a lot of opportunity to be creative. <laughs> Only six weeks out of the university, I was given the opportunity to develop a new photochemical process for making acetylene tetramobite, and that became a new process for Dow. So you were there I for, developed for another four years. petrochemical process and patented it, and it also became a commercial process. Mm -hmm. So four years at Dow Chemical, and, and then yep. what did you do after that? Well, that, that kind of sounded like probably like I was tooting my own horn, <laughs> but, uh, but uh, that experience proved to me that I could dream mm -hmm. and that those dreams could become a real reality. And uh, I have to credit Dow. There aren't many companies that give that kind of latitude to new employees. After Dow, uh, 
where I finally I was promoted to production assistant production manager of the bromine products department. Um, while working there, the Vietnam War was going on. And every year Dow gave me a paper to sign and it happened to be for a draft deferment because our company's employees were considered to have critical skills. Mm-hmm. The deferment was nice, but uh, many other men my age were going off to Vietnam and my conscience started bothering me. I had it pretty nice compared to that, but <laughs> I wasn't brave enough to volunteer for the army. Rather, my wife and I uh, volunteered for the Peace Corps. Mm-hmm. And where did that take you? Well, we ended up at the end of the road in the jungle back in a Mayan Indian village in uh, what was then called British Honduras. Today it's called Belize. Mm-hmm. And um, my responsibilities there was an ag extension agent and uh, for the country's government. And I helped reorganize a rice marketing co-op and and had some demonstrations to the Indians for raising better pigs and chickens with less cost. And how long were the, you there for? Two and a half years. Two and a half years. And we got so used to it, but all of the children in our village had protein malnutrition because their diet, you know, being Indians, was corn based. Mm-hmm. And that protein malnutrition is called kwashiorkor. Because of that, I decided to go back to school when I got out of the Peace Corps and try to work on some new, cheaper methods for making protein. Uh, single cell protein was getting considerable attention at the time. So I focused on food science and microbiology. Mm-hmm. And my thesis was on the fermentation of cheese whey to produce a high protein cattle feed supplement. Uh, Eventually that project or that process was built, commercially built and uh, to utilize the process I worked on. And where did you receive your education um, for food science and and who were you working with there? That was, uh, that was at uh, Michigan state and uh, from there, <laughs> I'll have to say, you know, working on whey, as I said, it was a fermentation of cheese whey. That was my introduction to whey. Before that, the only thing I knew about whey came from Little Miss Muffet. <laughs> uh, but while working with it in the university, I realized that you could not, you could not only make high protein cattle feed supplement that I was making, which was a fermentation process, but actually the uh, whey was a very good source of quality proteins. Um, Cargill was interested in the work that I was doing, so I took a job with them Mm -hmm. at their research center in the Minneapolis area. But uh, unfortunately, Cargill was already in the process of patenting another process for non-protein nitrogen and so my process never took traction there and here's where the experience from dow chemical comes in 
all I was doing at Cargill was doing research, writing reports, putting them in the library, and nothing was coming of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was just kind of meaningless work. So that's why I said earlier, I, I learned that I could accomplish things, certainly more than putting reports in the library. And so at Cargill, is this where you were working on one of the very first way fractioning plants? No, that came later. Okay. Uh, one of the companies I interviewed with when I was getting out of graduate school came back every year and said, you know, you're still, you're still satisfied you made the right decision. And by the, the third year, I said, well, what do you have in mind? <laughs> and they offered me the production manager job at a uh, one of the first uh, plants to make whey protein concentrate. So finally, I thought, ha ha, here's a chance to work on proteins and and probably even more importantly, to do it in a commercial setting. Mm-hmm. So that was that's where I got into whey proteins. And what did you learn from that experience? You know, what what were the pros and cons um, from working with whey and, and where did that lead you next? Um, our plant was probably the first plant to make significant quantities of whey proteins using ultrafiltration. And as I said, whey proteins are very high quality, but there's only about 20% of the milk protein in the whey. The rest of the protein goes into the cheese. But uh, we could recover those whey proteins and then what was left over, because it went through a UF membrane, we called it permeate. And that that permeates about 80% lactose on a dry basis. So we recovered the lactose and that's used in infant formula like Similac and Infamil. Mm -hmm. And then uh, along the way, you started Whey Systems, Inc. Is that correct? Yep. And, and how did that yeah, come the way about? The way that happened was uh, that plant that was processing whey was actually owned by a chemical company. And uh, that chemical company finally decided that food ingredients just didn't really p- fit into their p- company list of products. And so they shut that plant down and they shut down a sister plant in California. And... Um, so they offered me jobs at several different plant locations but of course you always have the opportunity to do something else Mm -hmm. so that's when i decided to try consulting you know being my own boss (laughs) (laughs) and and how has that been i'm sure it has uh, some ups and some downs (laughs) well that was a that was a misconception Uh, little did i realize that I'd be trading one boss for many boss, bosses. <laughs> Everyone's your boss now, right? Yeah, all of my clients are my bosses. So now I got a whole bunch of bosses. Um, after working on that process uh, for whey proteins, I was really convinced that those were quality proteins and that we could produce them more efficiently mm-hmm. if we could process the whey at the cheese plant rather than uh, trucking it into a central processing plant like we had. So um, I started the company and called it Whey Systems Incorporated. 
uh, you know, that sounds, that sounds big time, <laughs> but I had no clients. <laughs> yeah. Well, you got to start, got to start somewhere, right? Yeah, got to start someplace. So I started cold calling cheese plants to see if they'd be interested in making whey protein concentrate. Mm-hmm. And uh, we call that whey protein concentrate WPC for short. And um, some of those cheese plant owners said, well, we've heard about WPC, but they asked if I knew how to make lactose. Mm-hmm. And I said, yeah, but my professional interest, you know, going back to the Peace Corps and that, my professional interests are in the whey proteins. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one day coming back from one of those plants, I said, dummy, you don't have any work. <laughs> maybe a better, maybe a better help them with the lactose. <laughs> so, so I uh, I signed an agreement with them to help them design a, a lactose processing plant, and that was the start of my getting into lactose. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize at the time that when we shut down that production plant, you know, here where I live and the one in California, we shut down about fifty percent of the lactose production in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the price of lactose went up by a factor of five. Oh, wow. <laughs> I, <laughs> you know, us engineers, we're not too smart. We don't pay attention to markets like that. We just pay attention to processes. And I didn't realize that it had gone up that high. And that's the reason all these cheese plants wanted to make lactose rather than whey protein concentrate. Mm-hmm. So that's how I got into lactose. Okay. So that was the shift from whey to lactose. And, and then how long? Uh, did you own Whey Systems Inc. and and focus on lactose? Um, I owned Whey per- Systems for twenty years, mm-hmm. and uh, we um, we put in about forty lactose plants. Uh, we put them in various countries. You know, obviously uh, in the United States, we put three in Finland, three in New Zealand, a couple in Australia, three in India. Uh, one up in Canada, so my little my being forced into lactose uh, is not what I had planned, but that's what it ended up being. <laughs> Sometimes you can't help it, Kent. Sometimes you just uh, life takes you where you, where you need to go. Uh, and, so and, you've been all and, over. It sounds like I, I was looking at your portfolio online, and like you said, the United States, Finland, New Zealand, Australia, India, Canada. What are the size of these production facilities? I'm sure they range, but what are some of the larger facilities that you've worked with? That's a good question. (laughs) You know, lactose is a sugar. Lactose comes from milk. And we don't really think that much about sugar being in milk. But when we design these plants and they're spitting out five tons of 99.8% pure lactose every hour, 20 hours a day, 365 days a year, you say, wow, there is a lot of lactose in milk. They're big. They're big. Most of them are big. I would say Mm -hmm. the smallest ones make today make maybe one ton or a couple thousand pounds an hour. But uh, five, six uh, tons are are getting pretty common. Mm Mm-hmm. 
And so you did Way Systems Inc. for about 20 years. And then how yeah. did Keller Technologies become to be? Um, I was 57 at the time. And I thought, well, you know, if I'm ever going to sell this company, I should do it when I'm young enough that I can <laughs> help the new owners. Because mm-hmm. that's all I had to sell was help. <laughs> for somebody. So I sold the name of Way Systems to a company called Relco and uh, had a 10-year agreement to work with them as a consultant and to non-compete for 10 years on Lactos. And part of that agreement was I had to change the name of my company to uh, something else so they could use the name Way Systems because it had it had gotten a good reputation in the industry and that's what they wanted as well as my help. So I changed the name of my company to Keller Technologies Incorporated. And let's jump into the good stuff, uh, Ken. So along the way, I'm sure you've realized that water is really important to lactose. And and why is that so? Uh, Caking and clumping, molding, maybe you can uh, start to touch on those points and, and discuss water in this specific sugar. Yeah. Water and lactose is a little bit like water and table sugar. Um, if there's too much in there, everybody has seen sacks, five pound, 10 pound sacks of sugar that are as hard as a rock. And, and that comes from too much free moisture floating around in the bag. And lactose is exactly the same, except more so because lactose is not as soluble as sucrose and so it's even more prone to caking. So we have to get lactose very, very dry. Mm -hmm. If we don't, the the first indication of too much moisture is it starts caking or clumping in the bag. If we got even more moisture in there, then there's enough for a mold to start growing. Mm -hmm. And uh, not a good thing. (laughs) Definitely not. And what are the, the economic impacts of caking and, and molding? Do you have any uh, sense of that? Yeah, the quantities we're talking about, you know, if it's put on a ship and it's shipped over to Asia, an Asian customer finds it's caked or mold, molded, moldy, they're not going to accept it. And especially if it's moldy, now it's a hazardous material. And it has to be disposed of over there. So that becomes very expensive for the, the company that made and shipped the lactose. So that those are big consequences of it. So rejected, getting rejected after shipment is a loss, not only a loss of revenue, but it's a cost of, for disposal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> of course, with that, the company's reputation goes down the drain and uh, they lose future sales. So it's a huge economic impact. So water activity is very important to lactose. And how has your company utilized water activity measurements to to improve the lactose industry? Um, My first introduction to the concept of water activity came from a colleague that I worked with back at Cargill, and he had been in graduate school uh, working with uh, Dr. Ted Labuza, who I believe is a a pioneer in in that whole concept. Mm -hmm. And so that colleague introduced me to Dr. Labuza's work and just basically 
tune me into this whole concept of water activity. Uh, I don't know that there were any water activity meters at that time. And that was back in the, um, let's say, mid-70s. And when I was having trouble with lactose, I, I remembered this and I thought, well, if I can measure the humidity of the air that's between the lactose crystals, that might be a more sensitive indicator of lactose moisture than trying to measure um, the free moisture in lactose. So I started using a humidity gauge and a thermometer and I set some specs and communicated to these to my clients and uh, we used that for a number of years. And then uh, in about 2000, I ran into one of your meters being used in New Zealand. And so I started checking that out and, uh, and started moving towards uh, water activity meters then rather than my jury rig system. Mm-hmm. And maybe you can touch on this a little bit more, but why do you put emphasis on water activity measurements over moisture content methods? Like you said, free moisture is usually less than, is it 0.1%? It's really low. So what advantages does water activity give over moisture content, specifically for lactose? You can imagine this lactose, since it's high, such high volume, a lot of it gets packaged in uh, 2,000 ba- 2,000 pound bags, bulk bags, or a thousand kgs in a bulk bag, and we're interested in about 0.1 percent free moisture. If it goes up to 0.2, that's a hundred percent air. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and trying to find the difference of between 0.1 and 0.2 in that is really difficult for a production laboratory to do. Mm-hmm. It's, it's very unreliable. In that uh, large bag, there's about one kg, let's say it's a thousand kilograms, there's about one kilogram of air in there. And 0.1% free moisture is also about one kilogram of free moisture. So if you have one kilogram of air and one kilogram of moisture, that's, that's, uh, you know, 50, 50, or if you go to 0.2, you've doubled it. So it's very sensitive since there's such a small amount of air, it's a lot easier measuring those small amounts in that small amount of air than it is and a thousand kgs of lactose. Mm-hmm. That's where water activity comes in. I can I say see. that that <laughs> moisture measurement in lactose is complicated by another factor. <laughs> the lactose that we sell is not really lactose. It's a lactose monohydrate. And lactose monohydrate has 5.0% bound moisture with each crystal. So if you're trying to run a moisture analysis and you knock off just a small little bit of that 5% moisture, you've completely blown your moisture analysis. Again, water activity doesn't, doesn't measure that bound moisture. We're getting only the free moisture. 
And generally, what is your target for water activity for lactose? Uh, about uh, 0 0.2. Mm -hmm. And then when do you start to see caking and clumping? And, and when do you start to see molding with respects to water activity? Um, I, I would say about 0 0.3. If it's sold domestically, you might get by with it. Mm -hmm. But if it goes overseas, by the time it gets over there, 0 0.3 is very, very iffy. <laughs> if it gets up to 0 0.5, I would say uh, 0 0.5 to 0 0.7, it's going to uh, uh, start molding. But those numbers aren't really, there's a whole new factor that figures in here that moisture is free so it can migrate around the bag and if there's much moisture in there you'll actually see condensation on the plastic liner in the bag up at the top actually water droplets up there that's a that's a 1.0 or 100 percent relative humidity up there that's plenty good for mold to grow so mold starts growing there. And of course, when it's respiring, it's breaking the lactose down to carbon dioxide and water. Now we're generating more water right from the lactose and it's a snowball that goes downhill. Very important to stop that free moisture from moving around in there. Mm -hmm. Well, I know you spent you know so much time in this industry and, and I'm wondering if you think from your experience, if there are other industries that could benefit um, from what you've learned with lactose and, and water activity, do you see other applications or have you come across any? Uh, yeah, your your company, <laughs> I wish I had a graph that your company publishes. I wish I had that 20, 30 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> it does a beautiful job of showing the effect of water activity on things like caking and molding and crispness and bacterial growth and these kind of things. And uh, all those things are extremely important for lactose, but they're, they're virtually important for almost any other food product, even things like crispness of a, of a cereal or something like that. So a uh, huge number of applications for water activity meters. Well, if I, uh, if I figure out time travel, I will make sure to, to stop by and drop the graph off for you. <laughs> <laughs> and then, well, I've got the graph, uh, and, uh, and uh, it's available on your, let's see, I think it's available on your website, or mm -hmm. it's published there if you dig someplace in there. But anybody that's listening to this and has any interest in water activity certainly ought to get that graph. <laughs> And Kent, what, what is next for you? I, I mean, you've been in this industry a long time. You've uh, earned the, the Mr. Lactose title. You know, what's next? <laughs> well, three and a half years ago, I sold my company again. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the new owners called the comp their company, called their company Keller Technologies Incorporated, and they incorporated it in the state of Wisconsin rather than the state of Minnesota where mine is. So for a while we had two Keller Technologies Incorporated. I have now uh, shut down my 
company. And so now Keller Technologies is incorporated in Wisconsin. And again, part of my agreement with the gentleman that bought that name and, and my help uh, is, is to consult with them and provide technology to them so that they can sell technology and equipment in the lactose industry. That's uh, the main thing I got going now. Uh, uh, I <laughs> I do a lot of consulting for past customers. I've got customers that I haven't sold anything to for 25 years, and they still call me with questions. And uh, the meter doesn't run when they do that, so um, <laughs> I I just enjoy that part of it. I I would like to continue serving uh, the whey processing industry as a I mean, it's been good to me. It's been extremely good to me. And I'd like to return, serve the industry as long as I'm uh, physically and mentally able. <laughs> I'm 78 years old now, and I I think I'll know when I'm no longer physically able to do the work. And uh, mentally, well, I think there are enough people around me who will let me know. <laughs> It'll probably be about the same time they take the keys for the car. Away there you from go. <laughs> well, you, I'm sure you have a wild Kenton. I, I, I know that the industry, you know, they, they probably can't thank you enough for uh, your input. So I, I want to take a moment just to thank you for being on the podcast. Uh, this is really in, interesting. And again, I've been looking forward to have you on uh, the podcast for, for quite some time because I, I don't really know anyone else with your uh, depth of knowledge, especially for this specific product. So thanks again, Kent. We really appreciate having you on the podcast today. Well, I have to say that there is nobody with my depth of knowledge, <laughs> and there's a reason for that. <laughs> um, you know, and most people, when they do a good job, they get a promotion. <laughs> In my company, I haven't gotten a promotion for 45 years. <laughs> so I'm working on the same type of projects for the last 45 years i never gotten promoted away from it so during that time you've got enough time to make enough mistakes and you'd have to be brain dead to not learn something from it <laughs> uh, well well we appreciate you kent and uh thanks again for being on the show well thank you and thank you for the help that uh, your company has given us of course have a good one kent goodbye now i'm zachary cartwright this is water and food Find this podcast on Apple iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.